This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, August 14th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. In an effort to help boost the ailing newspaper industry, some members of Congress want to emulate Australia's link tax. It would be disastrous for local independent journalism, according to Cato's Paul Matsko. He details the evidence. Years ago, a friend of mine who had an email address and would receive emails that he did not want And he decided that he would send invoices to the people who had sent him those emails. Because this was at a time when, you know, the the amount of storage that you had on a, think about a green and black CRT screen, that's what you're logging into uh, to access your email. And you're using keystrokes to move around within your email box. Very, this is primitive, primitive technology by today's standards. And he thought, well, I'm just charge these guys, you know, a penny, a nickel for the emails that they send to me. And I, th- I said, that's, you know, you know, you can just have a white list of people who can send you email. The rest, they cannot, the rest cannot. And he's like, well, no, what if I, what if there's an email I want to get? And it, it just seems to me odd to charge people for a lot of things that we ought to just sort of take for granted on the internet. Like spam is it's an annoyance, but we deal with it. This link tax seems to be trying to generate revenue from exactly what? Well, it's an attempt to turn a category of information into quasi-property, to use the legal phrase. So propertization or enclosure you're taking something that's in the commons and information is something that Supreme Court Justice Louis Brandeis used to say that information should remain free as the air to common use. But it's taking that thing that's free as the air to common use. Anyone can, you know, use an address, can look up an address, it's turning it into property, con- the controlled by the person who owns the website. And so it's it's really quite a radical thing to do because you think about what a website is. It's just a digital address, just like, you know, you might own your home in meat space and in the real world that, you know, 10 Berry Hill Road is my house, but you don't own the address 10 Berry Hill Road. If, if the yellow pages wanted to print, you know, this is for our older listeners who remember the big, thick yellow pages showing up at your house every so often, <laughs> don't say that make you feel bad, Caleb. But that the yellow pages wouldn't exist if they had to get the permission of every address holder the right to print that information. And so we leave that information. Address information is free as the air to common use. And because of that, we derive great social market and just public benefit from that information not being property. A website address is the same thing. Someone owns the website. That doesn't mean they own the address, the hyperlink, the www part. And a link tax would turn that into property. And fundamentally, if this was taken to its logical conclusion, to its logical extreme, it would break the internet. Isn't this a bit of a Cozian problem? That is to say, we've decided that the property right sort of doesn't exist. And that if it did exist and were assigned to this specific group of people, that the cost of bargaining away for for allowing people to visit that uh, website may be prohibitive. Yeah, we're, we're raising transaction costs. A process that's 
basically frictionless. Like right now, if you're at one website and you want to go to another one, you just click on the link. Or if you have to, you know, sometimes you have to go up and click in the, you know, in the box and type the new address, but it's, it is free and frictionless to go from one site to another. It's free and frictionless to hyperlink. That's why we call it a worldwide web. The web is the metaphor for all these hyperlinks linking to each other. But if you introduce friction and you introduce cost for the act of hyperlinking, people stop linking to each other. The World Wide Web crumbles into eventually a bunch of different national webs. It's a national nationwide web. And potentially if California has its way and passes a link tax, you could get 50 different statewide webs. And so this thing that we all kind of take for granted now, a quarter of a century, a third of a century on from the creation of the World Wide Web could go away in the, in, in the most extreme scenarios. So I'm thinking, when I thinking thinking of small firms that would be subject to this and have their traffic essentially driven down, I suppose. And, you know, my, my go-to example, whenever I think about a small firm that would like to have a big audience is Tech Dirt. My friends at Tech Dirt. Hello, friends at Tech Dirt. And, and so the, the costs that would be imposed for a Google, for a CNN, a Fox News, probably manageable. Uh, but for Tech Dirt or much, much smaller websites, perhaps each individual substack would be its own piece of property. That seems almost prohibitive for what practically we would be the vast majority of websites. Yeah, well, it's disastrous for the little guy on multiple fronts. So first of all, it's bad for actually little newspapers. So the ostensible purpose of the link tax is to transfer money from big tech to big ink. But uh, it really does do that. It goes to big ink. It helps the larger newspapers. But 80% of newspapers have circulation under 15,000. So most newspapers are these little, tiny, struggling local papers. A link tax doesn't really benefit them because they're too small the legislation as it's currently being considered in the U.S. Congress excludes newspapers that are this small with non-professional full-time staff. So it doesn't actually benefit small struggling papers. It rewards larger ones. It would actually compel more consolidation in the industry. So if your goal is to help small newspapers, a link tax ain't the way to do it. Why is that? Well, it's because of the mechanism. A link tax is basically a mandatory bargaining regime. It requires news producers, you know, newspapers and broadcasters to negotiate with news aggregators, you know, your Googles and Facebooks to come up with an agreement on compensation sharing. If you're a big newspaper, you have a whole lot more pull in that process than small papers. So small papers will probably just be dropped entirely in your news feed, your Google news or whatever, become more tailored, including only content from like approved bargained for stuff. So Small newspapers, big losers under link tax, but also, yeah, small businesses, small outlets. We have some evidence for this from, from Spain, which passed the snippet tax or kind of a link tax kind of adjacent thing several years ago and Google news pulled out entirely. And when they did that, all the newspapers lost traffic, fewer people went to their websites, but smallest papers lost the most. So you can kind of see the, the proof is in the pudding. We've seen what happened when, when you pass a late tax. So California is considering that this introduces a whole lot of other problems, right? The United States is a country. States have some authority, but the feds really 
probably ought to be, I don't know, this may be controversial, ought to be the ones governing, making regular the transactions across state borders and certainly moving internet data across borders from servers to uh, desktops and laptops and phones. It's, it, it seems inappropriate for states perhaps to be leading the charge here, but that hasn't stopped a bunch of states from doing this with all sorts of different tech regulation. Yeah. If you're going to do it, I mean, you, you shouldn't do it. I mean, the, the U.S. shouldn't pass a link tax, but if you're going to do a link tax, it's less bad for it to be the federal government than it is for state governments to be carving up the internet in the 50 different instances. Um, there is a federal bill that's under consideration in Congress called the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act, or JCPA, which is, it's unlikely at this point to make it through this Congress just because of the way the the politics are playing out. But it, it, it's a bipartisan sponsored bill. Um, A.B. Klobuchar has been, it's been one of her big driving goals over the last couple of years. She's, she's from a newspaperman's family. I think her father was in the newspaper industry. So there's a progressive component that sees this as a chance to save struggling small papers. But then there's also kind of the new populist right. Ken Buck has been pushing for similar legislation in the on the House side, Klobuchar's in the Senate, kind of out of anti-big tech, antitrust kind of concerns. So there's a kind of right and left bipartisan coalition pushing for a link tax. It almost happened during some omnibus budget debates in last fall, but it fell just short. But it's it's around. It's still around. And I, I can imagine, well, let me, let me back that up. Sorry. <clears throat> there is a sort of, at least has the appearance of a kind of bootleggers and Baptists coalition, coalition here. That is a lot of progressives would see the benefits to small papers in terms of revenue. And the bootleggers here appear to be the big firms that would be gobbling up media outlets. And I, and I can easily see a firm like Google or Facebook or Meta buying news outlets to save on what they might otherwise have to pay out. Yeah, that that's actually interesting. You know, I think it's some of the big tech companies have sponsored big pots of money to try to reward local journalism as as so you can see that escalating. But the biggest winners from a link tax regime are probably hedge funds. So few people realize, but nearly around about half of newspapers in the U.S. are now been bought up by hedge funds. A lot of times what they'll do is they'll buy the struggling local paper, they'll fire all the staff, they'll basically get rid of the guts of the newspaper, and then they'll add it to a conglomerate of a couple of like a dozen statewide or local papers. And then they just republish the same content under the different mastheads. So they kind of hollow it out and it's a husk of a newspaper but it's a very kind of, it's a way of kind of slash and burning and of extracting profit from the company. And and that's fine. I mean, we don't have any problem with hedge funds per se, but what this, a link tax would do, it would be allow hedge funds to kind of escalate that practice and to extract revenue from big tech. So if your goal is a massive transfer of wealth from tech companies to hedge fund shareholders, then a link tax is a great way to do that. I'm not sure that that's what anyone who's sponsoring the bill intended intends to happen but that's what will happen in fact you can tell that because uh the largest pro link tax advocacy group the news media alliance uh, actually has a board member from alden global capital which has bought up more than 100 newspapers and around the jcpa debates they had all these like form letters that 
that news, their member newspapers could publish pushing for the passage of this JCPA. So yeah, we're going to get some, it's definitely a, you know, bootleggers, Baptist, well-intentioned folks like Amy Klobuchar, but then you have your bootleggers like, you know, Alden Global Capital and others who have more pragmatic reasons for supporting a link tax. Paul Masco is author of the new Cato paper, A Link Tax Won't Save the Newspaper Industry. It's available today at Cato.org.